0: This is Sacrilegious with your host, Gary Latterman.
1: We are back again. Welcome to uh, Sacrilegious. I'm glad uh, that you're back here, and I'm glad to be back as well. And I'm glad I'm not alone today. Um, no monologues, but another conversation that I'm really looking forward to. A great friend of mine is uh, with me today. Dr. Anthony Pinn, who is the Agnes Cullen Arnold Professor of Humanities. He's a professor of religious studies at Rice University, and he's also a director of research at the Institute for Humanist Studies. Tony is uh, an incredible and productive and creative scholar of religion who has written an, an incredible number of books that are on a lot of my favorite topics and that really are clearly making contribution to religious studies and opening up the field, I think, in ways that can bring in conversation and engagement with humanism, with theology, with atheism, with popular culture with the African American religious experience. Um there are so many rich uh, elements of of your work. So I'm just uh, first want to say thank you and think uh, again you've you've made some really great contributions.
0: Well, very kind. Great to be with you.
1: Yeah, thanks Tony. I uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things to to discuss, but I'm you know, one thing I'm I'm particularly interested in is your very sort of public um atheist identity, your embrace of humanism, even as you are very much a very public and significant figure in the field of religious studies. So I uh, appreciate that kind of positionality and within the field, and, and I identify with it in many ways. But one thing at one level I just am, am sort of curious about is just when you're teaching, and mm-hmm. you walk into your undergraduate religion class, are you very public in there about your atheism? And is that sort of a part of how you frame and, and try to engage students in
0: thinking about religion? Well, and, and that's a really good question. I, I don't announce it in the same way that if I were born a born again Christian, I would not announce it. And that my goal is to kind of open that space in ways that allows for really interesting conversation. And I don't want to begin the semester by confining that. Um,
1: Sure. But you find that it does come up.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it comes up uh, during the course of the semester, but as it's coming up, if I don't announce it at the very start, students don't understand it as the way in which they have to frame their wrestling with the materials. Later on, as it comes up, it's easier for me to just pronounce that as personal perspective that goes no further than that. Um, And most of the undergraduates I encounter are not doing background reading right they're not googling me and so it isn't information that they typically walk into the classroom with but again I try to I try to avoid making that kind of announcement early because it it shapes conversation in a way that I think is unproductive
1: I get that and, and that makes sense um, and and it's important to be aware and, and sensitive especially around our field for how we sort of begin the discussion of, well, how do we study religion and how do we think about it? And I, I, I've i been figuring out how to deal with that in terms of my own classes as well and, and thinking about what does it mean, you know, on the one hand to even kind of share that aspect of my identity mm-hmm. with students, and then on the other is what does it do to their whole intellectual receptivity of right. what I've got? And um and certainly when it comes up i do i do play with it and push it a bit you know mm-hmm. i don't think students even have a good understanding of of atheism other than sort of popular conceptions Yeah. and also you know um, raising the question of well who should be teaching religion right you know should uh, you know only an evangelical be teaching christianity or a reformed jew teaching uh judaism you know, or what does it mean to have an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God, in the classroom with you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it raises interesting, it, it surfaces really interesting but troubling assumptions, right? Because we could teach a course on Marxism and no one would assume that we, of necessity, are Marxist. But with this, there's an assumption that if you are not personally committed to this, you are not properly positioned. To discuss it, uh, but again, you know, I, I I don't announce it at the beginning because I'm mindful of the soft ways in which authority is established, regardless of what we say about the classroom. So much of how the classroom is positioned, even how it's physically positioned, speaks a certain type of authority, right? I've noticed that uh, I, that I always use now a seminar room if the class size will allow it. Right. Because then there's no desk up front. But I've noticed that even with the seminar table, students will sit everywhere except for what they consider the head of the table. Right. So even in this seminar space with this almost round table, there's a kind of authority that's set up. And if on top of that, I begin the class by saying I am an atheist, it shapes those fifteen weeks, and I think so many of the students they have a sense of atheism based upon some really piss poor examples, examples of folks who know very little about religion, very little about the study of religion, like Richard Dawkins.
1: Please say say a little more on that. I'm 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 curious and and um, invested in this as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that Richard Dawkins and our paths have crossed on numerous occasions. When it comes to the sciences, the dude knows a great deal, right? There is no denying it, the selfish gene, right? But when it comes to issues of religiosity, his understanding is rather warped and limited, right? He doesn't understand the complexities of religiosity. He doesn't understand how it has shaped and informed cultural developments, right for him it's 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 a rather restricted sense and I, and there's a kind of unnecessary animosity and belittling that takes place with him that i find just to say it isn't useful is an understatement right it that it just isn't a truthful presentation of what religion has meant
1: it's very fundamentalist in its way. And as you say, it's, it's, it's yeah. narrow and uh, really uh, accepting sort of uh, uncritically certain assumptions about religion. And um, mm-hmm. I find that to be very, uh, yeah, common in that the, the sort of new atheist yeah. camp. Yeah. But how, so let's complexify it a little bit. How do you see, how do you understand atheism and its relationship to religiosity?
0: So I I, I, I want to, so for a, a long time, I, I understood religion as a quest for complex subjectivity. My mind has changed some, but for now, for our conversation, we'll work with that, right? I've understood religion as a quest for complex subjectivity. It's a way of wrestling with the fundamental questions of our existence. Who are we? When are we? Why are we? What are we? Right? It doesn't require God or gods. And so I think there are ways in which new atheism and secular humanism function as religious orientations because they are about the business of meaning making. And I've had some atheists and humanists say to me, we don't care about meaning and we don't do ritual stuff. They gather every year and conduct the same sort of activities in a decided upon space. How is that not ritual? Exactly. Right. So it seems to me human secular humanism and atheism function along the same lines as religion as I understand religion. But I think there are some fundamental differences. I think religious traditions despite the kind of damage they have done have tended to understand the need to provide adherents with a soft place to land. Right, to provide them with a sense of community, to provide them with a resource that forges identity over against. Mm. And I think humanists and atheists, by and large, have failed to provide a soft place to land. They've offered a rather warped sense of community that is so highly driven by critique of theism that it offers very little, (laughs) right? That to critique, to critique our, our current understandings and applications of the separation of church and state and science education does little to help people live in the context of an absurd world. <laughs> right? So there's just so much missing from humanism and atheism. So I get, I often get the question. Why are Black people so Christian when Christianity was used to, to harm and to warp them? And it seems to me the better question for humanists and atheists to ask is, why hasn't humanism or atheism been more attractive? Mm-hmm. Right? Why hasn't it done more heavy lifting? And, and so, for example, I, I don't know very many humanists or atheists who don't in some way, shape or form embrace Thomas Jefferson. Right? That Thomas Jefferson's thought serves to inform their own. But as soon as they say Thomas Jefferson fits into what I believe and what I do, they have introduced into their system sexual violence and anti-Black racism that they in turn don't then wrestle with. They just point the finger at religious institutions. Right. Right. Well, um, and to to say, to
1: unpack a little bit of what you've been saying. Um, the soft place to land is a, a nice way to put it. And would would that? I mean, are, is the suggestion that in fact, uh, you know, atheism, humanism can
0: be religious in certain ways? I, I think they. I've gotten a lot of heat over this, but the way in which I define religion, I, I think they fit. They fit. Because it's not about particular doctrinal claims or it's not about a fixed set of ritual structures. That religion in that context is is a kind of hermeneutic. It's the way in which we 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 tap and interrogate human experience. And I think there are ways in which humanism and atheism doesn't along the lines of Traditional forms of religion. So think in terms of how people responded to the God delusion. Richard Dawkins' book. I heard humanists and atheists respond to Richard Dawkins and respond to that book in the same way that I've heard Christians respond to the New Testament and the G- and the Christ event. Yeah. That's... both have trans right. Both talk in terms of kind of transformation that is that is deep and metaphysical, right? That informs and influences how they behave in the world. Absolutely. Very
1: similar. Absolutely, uh, and and I see it and 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 agree that the, the parallels are pretty obvious. And the and I've gotten that blowback too when when I've uh, kind of said I publicly, bet. you know, that I you know that atheists can be religious. I mean, they just don't want to hear that and are again very closed off to expanding or exploding yeah. the concept yeah. of religion, yeah. so yeah. that they can see it's kind of built into to human societies mm-hmm. human culture yeah. and we're going to we're going to be religious in one way or another um mm-hmm. but but what's interesting for uh, for our work and i think even more so into the future is trying to help people see how they're religious in ways they may not recognize right yeah yeah
0: yeah and it's you know and it seems to me intellectually lazy on a certain level right that human uh, humanists and atheists will critique the conceptual framework offered by theists, the vocabulary and grammar theists use to describe the world with respect to everything except for religion. How theists name it, humanists and atheists are willing to accept. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Sure. And and, and I would imagine that there are some similarities in our response in that we both live and work in areas of the country that take seriously Christian faith, very seriously. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in you know ways that
1: we we can't get around. But especially when the topic is religion and um, mm-hmm. scholars are also in there with uh, uh, activists or adherents, it's it's sometimes a very different rhetorical. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of uh, discussion. You know, we're on different rhetorical mm-hmm. levels and talking about religion, and and that's um, you know, I think that's part of what the 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 uh, effort behind religious, you know, the kind of religious literacy is, um, mm-hmm. at yeah. least to some yeah. degree. Uh, I think yeah. I, I have some questions about religious literacy as a as a kind of movement or public scholarship effort, but. There is a strong resistance in the South, but I think other parts of the country, too, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, really trying to uh, push out of a very narrow kind of Christian understanding yeah. of religion yeah. can only be faith or God, you know, yeah. or church, yeah. so on.
0: Yeah. Well, say a little more about uh, your take on religious literacy as a movement.
1: It's uh, has some noble intentions, I think, but I also find that it's, um, in a, in a way, kind of playing into the status quo to some degree, mm-hmm. and uh, that I'm, I mean, from my own personal predilections and sensibilities, I'm much, you know, I'm, I'm I I kind of am more for pushing a more radical agenda, mm-hmm. you know, really, you know, religion. It's not just about you know, kind of learning the gospels. And being right. literate there, I think it's even more thinking about the ways in which uh, we, we, we were talking about the ways in which people are religious, and aren't fully cognizant of of mm-hmm. that dimension yeah. of their yeah. lives. So, so pushing the conceptual boundaries and and mm-hmm. really trying to think of a different mm-hmm. uh, rhetorical field to be talking about religion is 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 kind of where I'm I'm at what I'm mm-hmm. after to a degree. I think yeah. this podcast is a, a part of that <laughs> you know I mean yeah, yeah. um what's what is sacred you know and and yeah. what are the ways in which we can play with that and and kind of mm-hmm. destabilize that um but also uh you know kind of promote and uh encourage creative ways of thinking about how mm-hmm. you know yeah. we are religious
0: And you've also pushed on some rather some fundamental issues right so the the work you've done and related to the culture of death and dying it it seems to me cuts to the quick that these are these are the sorts of issues that religion is is supposed to provide some guidance with respect to
1: absolutely i mean it's and it's the stuff you do too for sure thinking about bodies whether we're talking yeah. about corpses or sexuality bodies in motion bodies in pain you know i really you know that that's where the action is when we're talking about Mm -hmm. religion the sacred religious life and that's where the action is when we have to kind of break down the conventional more traditional perspectives on 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 how we understand death how we cope with death we think about sexuality and so on
0: yeah I mean, these are really important. And it seems to me this is some of the stuff regarding which humanist and atheist organizations fall short, right? That you cannot, you can't adequately wrap your mind around issues of death and dying and pain and misery and do it through a kind of scientific grammar and vocabulary, right? What they, what they really fail to, to note and capture is the effective dimensions of loss. Yes and
1: right and even in in their response uh, you know that that is a, a kind of a religious response as you've been saying yes even if it is to just think only in terms of science only in terms of materiality it is it is also a way to make sense of it all to make meaning mm-hmm. um even as right. it denies that more right. theistic supernatural whatever uh, language you want to use yeah. that isn't material yeah. Yeah. and and i think that's you know, I think that's part uh, of both the appeal, uh, but also part of the part of the problem, as you've been pointing out, with mm-hmm. the ways in which it's it's it could be doing more for people. That is yeah. humanism, more, wow. more generally, but uh, but uh, there too, I think, uh, certainly in America, there are some mm-hmm. some odd uh, baggage. There's this odd baggage with that yeah. concept: secularism, communism, you know, yeah. atheism. Yeah. These are all threats to to the
0: American way or something. Now, has there been, has there been resistance or pushback in terms of your personal stance and and how you fit within the study of religion, right? Right. So has there been any kind of pushback perhaps from the the larger Atlanta community or?
1: Oh, uh, no, no, uh, uh, you know, absolutely not. I try to keep a low profile. Well, not really, but uh, sometimes. And uh, you know, I think people know what they're getting uh, with me. Yeah. I, I, there, there, there's no, there hasn't been a lot of pushback um, at all. I mean, the only pushback I get um, is not Atlanta-based or Emory-based or student-based. It's when you 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 write in public, when you are doing mm-hmm. public scholarship on Huffington Post yeah. or something, and you say some things like this, and and you know, boy, people can come after you. Have, have you? you? I mean, I mean, I guess we, you you have to some degree. Uh, early in t-
0: early in my career, uh, the, while I was at McAllister College, uh, a reporter for the uh, Star Tribune did a profile piece, and it was a Saturday piece, right? So it's Saturday, right? I mean, that's that's not a big read the paper day, right? I mean, it's it's filling up space, but there was and within that, it, it she just mentioned that I was a humanist teaching in the religion department. And there was just all sorts of nastiness after that, hate mail, nasty phone calls, people questioning my fit. But it's interesting, I've not had any of that in Texas, and I've been as open about my personal stance, but absolutely none of this.
1: Yeah. And here too, you know, again, that disrupts our uh, expectations and our assumptions, assumptions about region, right. you know, right. what, what it right. supposed to be like in, in Texas. And uh, again, that's the part of the challenge too, when you're um, living in the South or working in the South yeah. is the, you know, the very popular yeah. stereotypes that uh, that we have seen can be quite um, um, off the mark or harmful or, or only getting... A, a little bit of the picture, but, and, but not so much anymore. I think, uh, I think that may also reflect, I mean, uh, you know, as you know, how radically transformative the religious landscape mm-hmm. has been over the last yeah. decade or yeah. so. I mean, yeah. you see that in terms of people responding to you and in terms of students and what they're coming in with in terms of their, you know, intellectually, what what are they, are they uh, struggling mm-hmm. with or thinking about when it comes to religion? I'm finding it's just a whole completely different sort of yeah. mental universe for students yeah. around religion. Yeah. How are you seeing that?
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. And I get so many students from the social sciences, from engineering, from chemistry, biology, right, who are kind of thinking about the study of religion not as a way— to secure tools to protect their faith, right? Kind of learn about the other so they can better challenge the other. No, for them, it's a matter of better understanding the cultural world in which they live. And so they're open to the conversations.
1: They're coming in much more open-minded, I'm finding. Yeah, um, yeah. And wanting to learn yeah. about religions and willing to also um, think outside the box. Uh, Mm -hmm, to a degree, mm -hmm. which again, uh, for me, is really quite uh, promising, thinking about uh, as far as the religion piece of the future.
0: (laughs) And a a kind of expansive understanding of the field, right? So they'll take liberation theologies without assuming that, that without the rather narrow understanding of theology that seems to continue to live within our field, right? They have a much more expansive sense of what what you can do with these theological tools?
1: They want to listen to Kendrick Lamar, right? I mean, they want and unpack to...
0: what he's saying.
1: Oh man, no! I mean, and and that's where the theology is. Uh, that's where the, yeah. you know, again, the yeah. action is for theological yeah. education and reflection. Is that yeah.
0: It? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean that for both of us. I think uh, you know. i um, was speaking for myself. Is uh, you know I'm always turning the attention in the class to popular culture because I'm saying mm-hmm. that's where we really are finding a space to reflect on the deep religious yeah. questions of meaning, yeah. identity, yeah. death, transcendence, and so on.
0: Yeah. Forget yeah.
1: the pew, you know, or the pulpit. It's uh, yeah. It's entertainment.
0: Right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned one of my favorites, uh, Kendrick Lamar, right? I mean, there there are some wonderful artists in Houston with whom I'm in conversation and on some level collaboration. But pulling outside of Texas, what Kendrick Lamar does, for example, on "Damn," I think is just of tremendous significance.
1: So, well, say can you say a little bit? I mean, uh, unpack that. Um, Yeah, I think,
0: well, for, for both of us with an interest in the nature and meaning of death and dying that with with Damn, you have an album that explores the fragile nature of life bookmarked by death. Right. So the album begins with him engaging a woman who ultimately kills him and it ends by going back to that scenario. So even if you play it backwards, right, it doesn't matter whether you play it backwards or forward, you are already and always within the presence of demise. And the question it seems to me for him becomes, how do you, how do you understand the dynamics of life, right? What is the nature and meaning of life within the context of death? Right. That he's not it's not the typical American tendency to try to bracket off death, right, to render it somehow safe because it is confined. For him, that just isn't a possibility. And what does it mean to be within that kind of context? I, I think it's just extremely well done.
1: And it's religious. I mean, this is what religion has done (laughs) traditionally and historically. How do we integrate death into our lives based on the circumstances in which we find ourselves? Right. And Kendrick Lamar, I mean, again, it may not be at some like super intellectual conscious level, but, you know, just the lyrics, the music, um, you know, the celebrity. Yeah. You know, this is where people are turning. Because it ain't happening with the rabbi or the priest.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, um, Chuck D once said that, uh, right, that it was understood within hip hop culture that uh, hip hop was CNN for black people. Well, but it's more than that.
1: Right. I mean, it's it's yeah there's there's all kinds of uh messages that are being transmitted and yeah. communicated that have to do with
0: yeah. Um, yeah.
1: morality and and meaning and all of that as as we're saying and um mm-hmm. you know that's uh, you know one way to put it in, <laughs> in the contemporary terms is kind of being an influencer you know and and thinking about yeah. that uh not just in terms of popularity or likes but you know what? You know, shaping worldviews, or really right. shaping how people right. understand who they are and what they should be, yeah. and all yeah. of
0: that. Where? It's what are you? Stuff. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. That was it. That is. This is just powerful. Its influence is wide and deep. Are you looking? What else are you looking at these
1: days in in terms of popular culture? You got other projects going on around?
0: Uh, you know, around sort of the more popular culture realm. Well, I I just finished up a manuscript and it's out for review that kind of looks at uh, hip hop culture in relationship to uh, death. And it kind of, it it explores uh, some of the artists and categories of hip hop that I don't think receive the same sort of attention, but do some really intriguing wrestling with death. Um, And so it kind of looks at horror core. Um, so I look at figures um, and, and some of these figures might not understand themselves or categorize themselves as as fitting within horrorcore, but there's just something deeply fascinating about their lyrics. So someone uh, 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 yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at Tyler the Creator and some others kind of wrestling with how hip hop understands the intersections of blackness and demise. Wow, and the ways in which whiteness, and white supremacy establishes a certain sense of Blackness as a buffer against demise. Absolutely. And so I'm kind of interested in what, how these artists signify that development. And so in that, I'm trying to be in conversation with Afro-pessimism and see how Afro-pessimism might offer a really interesting way to engage hip-hop, but more than that, to also bring Afro-pessimism more deeply into the study of religion? Which is only, I think, starting to kind of so, find, well, a, find I, I a place. I know in a couple of months whether it goes well or not, right, once the reviews come in.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that I would use this book in my death and dying class as uh, music is a very kind of central part in in the pedagogy, and we are inevitably listening to different kinds of hip-hop and rap. As as important in sources for these kinds of reflections, so mm-hmm. say a little more if you can about the Afro pessimism being brought in, and and thinking of that also in in the religious terms that you that you've yeah. been referring
0: to. I, I think Afro pessimism provides a rather compelling challenge with respect to some of the some of the conceptual framework that we have assumed in the study of African American religion and and i and I think we've reached a point where you know, BLm forces a confrontation with the American way of life, so to speak, but it also poses a challenge concerning the kinds of assumptions that we, in the study of religion, for example, have made. and And so, in light of our current our circumstances, and in light of this long history, what Richard Wright calls the long century is it really feasible to continue to talk in terms of hope? Is it feasible to talk in terms of Black humanity in a way that assumes a certain ontological positioning? And so I think there are interesting and compelling questions that Afro-pessimism forces us to wrestle with. And so I'm trying to take it seriously enough to wrestle with those questions. And so I'm trying to bring together this set of questions i feel i feel compelled to wrestle with uh, with uh, bring that into relationship with a form of cultural expression i find compelling uh, well
1: I'm, as i said i think it sounds uh, like it'll be uh, another important contribution but also is speaking to an experience that um um, through scholarship, but also through public protest, pe- I think and hope more and more Americans are becoming more aware of, and that's just mm-hmm. the very uh, loaded and tragic and um, um, impossible to deny experience of of death in African American right. history, that uh, you know is so deeply rooted in, in these systems of power and. Forms of Mm -hmm. dehumanization and violence that aren't simply from the past, but like shape as I'm, you know, as I'm reading and learning so much about the Black experience with death, Black Mm -hmm. death. One of the books we we read in the Death and Dying, or a segment of it it was is by Christina Sharpe called Mm -hmm. Wake. You know, which is so so powerfully captures some of. Uh, yeah. the, the the wake uh, uh, mm-hmm. and the multi kind of layered notion of that term in yeah. the African American experience with death, yeah. and I'm sure that gets uh, cataloged or articulated, expressed obviously through yeah. through hip hop through rap. Yeah,
0: in the wake is brilliant, I, and, and and I think what recent years kind force us to recognize is we live within the context of a system that does not simply allow. Anti-black racism and death, but it demands anti-black racism and death, right? So George Floyd and Breonna Taylor point out not simply a system that allows; it requires this death. This is the necessary sacrifice to protect white supremacy. It demands this. And what do you? What does it mean to do justice work to try to change this? The dynamics of a society that demands that requires black death,
1: exactly. And that's can rough. it, uh, yeah? Can it ever be fixed? Can it ever be solved? Exactly. And and uh, you know right. that's what and, his... And so
0: for me, it raises that. Yeah, it raises that question: Are we? Is there anything about what we understand of our circumstances that authorizes hope? Are outcome-driven strategies of protest still the way to go? Yeah. And
1: if I may, uh, thinking about Christianity Mm -hmm. and hope
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and, and, you know, wondering about the complicity of Christianity in all of this. And is Christianity also the solution as well as a part Mm -hmm. of the problem?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a dangerous one. (laughs) yeah i'm I'm trying to see what, so to the degree that Christianity is part of a solution, if a solution is viable, it seems to me it revolves around not what it teaches, but the kind of geography it represents. So there's something about the physical resource of Christianity that could be put to use and struggle against injustice. But that, for me, requires detangling its doctrines and creeds and ritual structures from the more material components of Christianity. Those com- those material components might be useful to us in this struggle. Who's going to do that with you? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm- I, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think. I think folks will continue to spend time trying to reform these doctrines and creeds, right? To kind of soften their edges. And, and I don't think that will get us anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's uh, definitely a cause for pessimism. Um, and, and, and thinking about what kind of future is out there for, for all of us. For African African Americans, especially in this country, yeah. and, and and certainly Asian Americans, and, and that's yeah. part of the story of teaching American right. religious history right. is hate. It's like hate yeah. as yeah. as a central yeah. theme.
0: Yeah, but I, I think it requires a, a it requires some rethinking on the nature and meaning of struggle of rebellion that we we've tended to we've tended to downplay the significance of rebellion because we've been outcome driven, right? That rebellion struggle is meaningful to the extent it gets us from A to B. We have not in our long history gotten from A to B. Not if A is disregard and injustice and B is justice. So perhaps, perhaps we need to think about struggle and rebellion differently, that the victory is in our ability to say no to injustice, not in outcomes, that something of our humanity, something of our connection to this larger web of life is pronounced and claimed in our struggle against injustice. And that's all we get.
1: The value that is in in the struggle. The the enrichment the 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 kind of um potentiality yeah that's just inherent in that is yeah. I, I hear that and and getting away from a more utilitarian or outcome driven yeah. uh, yeah. framework is is not the American way <laughs> you know, it no. goes against the grain in some right. ways and 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 you know, hell you know of course we see that uh, as, as well in education yeah. and, and, and yeah. you know in yeah. terms of college for sure yeah yeah but it's yeah it's,
0: I, I think that's right. We see it in college in this push to a kind of utility. I take these courses, I get this degree, it gets me a job as opposed to recognizing the inherent value and in critical thinking skills and effective communication strategies that this is only meaningful if it gets me this job, right. That's what we fight against. <laughs> That's what I exactly. mean. in the exactly. classroom.
1: Uh, exactly. Really, kind of throw, throw, throw them off that track, and exactly, uh, and 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 that can be liberating and also quite frightening, uh, as we know, for yes. for no, twenty year olds no. and so on.
0: But it's a different orientation, right? It's a very different orientation. It's the kind of thing that Camus captures with that short phrase: "One must imagine Sisyphus happy," right? That we don't. We don't win the day; we simply become more lucid and aware of our circumstances, and we are not defeated by those circumstances.
1: Nicely put. And that's uh, hard. And, and in many ways, uh, it's, it's a hard uh, orientation to to acquire and then maintain. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, yeah, for most, it's not enough.
1: Yeah. But you teach that, you write about that, you kind of embody mm-hmm. that yourself, and I I try to as well. And it's um, yeah, I, I think there too it's it can be liberating for young adults to see uh, people who may not be just so driven on that kind of track mm-hmm. and find fulfillment in like uh, say learning <laughs> mm-hmm. or it's knowledge for knowledge's sake. Very outdated, uh, <laughs> but you know, fighting the fight. Excellent. I I I suppose I'm, I'll maybe finish up uh, uh, thinking about the pandemic and just giving a mm-hmm. shout out to your you know you wrote two great pieces for Sacred Matters.
0: Well, thank you, thank you. During this thank time you for uh, giving me that platform.
1: Oh no, they were great. I mean, one uh, it was called Bodies Down, Bible Aloft, a humanist take on scripture and Trump's photo op. And the other one is you can't theologize a virus. Both of them, you know, really uh, hit a nerve, and we got a lot of responses to that. And those were both a little, well, not too long ago, but I I maybe just want to get your sense of religion in the pandemic and thinking about, Mm -hmm. as we hopefully are beginning our way out in some sense. You know, yeah. people have been talking about, you know, this great return to religion or religion is gonna be coming stronger out of this experience. And uh I I just, you know, this is a sort of quick snapshot of what your impressions are at the moment, mm-hmm. um, thinking thinking about the pandemic yeah. and religious life.
0: I, I think it has yeah, I won't deny that there that there has been a kind of aggressive response within certain religious quarters, um, but it, it seems to me, at its worst, it it is exemplified by a kind of white Christian nationalism. We saw this at the Capitol, right? That it it that this this crisis has manifested in a variety of ways that have rendered us vulnerable and so many within the context of the united states have tried to address that vulnerability through a kind of aggression towards the other right if if no other way i can safeguard me by pointing the finger at the other and we've done that in rather aggressive ways and again i think this kind of christian nationalism is one of the most graphic and troubling examples of this
1: absolutely and it's also really i think where a lot of the so-called return is to religion is
0: Mm -hmm. you know people who are
1: already pretty uh evangelical um, and generally you know within christianity is is um you have people who are, are because of these circumstances becoming even more Conservative, more
0: yeah. evangelical within yeah. within within and, Protestant and, churches, yeah. and, and, and I wouldn't argue that this is a new theological move. It's just a new and more aggressive public presentation of it, hmm. and authorized again by Trump,
1: right. Whereas in other uh, eras, it might be more uh, in, uh, hidden, subterranean, tied to other kinds of grassroots mm-hmm. efforts, so to speak. Yeah. This is very much uh, es- establishment.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- thanks
1: to Trump yeah. and I think the, now the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, it moved from the church house to the Capitol. But this is an old theological formulation, just ritualized in a different way
1: uh, right and, and and made explicit in ways that oh, yeah. uh you know are shocking and as you're saying in many ways not surprising yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah, yeah. well it'll be uh you know that too is is going to be an important um area for religious studies to uh contribute and and hopefully shed some light well, and th- thinking about um the insurrection and the context and uh, the trajectories of some mm-hmm. of these uh, deeply uh, disturbing and dangerous religious movements, yeah. yeah, which only reinforces our our sense of of religion as being uh, both potentially for a good and um, well, you know, the well being of self and community, mm-hmm. uh, and also yeah. incredibly hurtful, destructive.
0: And this needs to be wrestled with. Right. So for so for my money, folks who argue that is not my Christianity, do conversation and public discourse a disservice. It is your Christianity. Simply say you don't like how it's being expressed, but this is your Christianity. Can't get around it. No. Right. But it, it, it doesn't force them to interrogate their beliefs. Exactly. It is their Christianity
1: trying to get more interrogation <laughs> around mm-hmm. how we behave and what we believe yeah. and where our commitments are. I, I, I think that's yeah. that's a big part of the mission <laughs> for us. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep up the fight and, and uh, work on our mission and, and, and really try to get uh, people thinking a little more uh, deeply and with right. more uh, nuance around questions of religion and those main questions that you
0: mm-hmm. started with. Ask better questions, demand better answers.
1: And let's do it. Okay, I think that's good for now, Tony. Thank you so much uh, for being a part of this. And I so appreciated and enjoyed this conversation.
0: Oh, thank you. Great time. Fantastic chatting with you.